Hello and welcome to the Go Gamecocks podcast, your quick and informative look into the state of South Carolina sports presented by the state newspaper. I am your host, Greg Hadley, and I am joined by reporter Ben Briner. Ben, it's been a while since we've posted an episode. A lot has changed since our last show. Greg doesn't want to say this. He kind of got coronavirus, but it's okay. He beat it, and he did only work the whole way through. I did not get coronavirus, but we are safely at home. Greg looks so mad right now. So mad. Just just to give you all the, the image. Anyway, we wanted to get this show back on track, and what better time to do it than around the NFL draft, one of the only events in sports that has managed to go on as scheduled, albeit with a lot of changes, and a pretty big one for South Carolina football. Decently big, anyway. In the first round, we got Javon Kinlaw going to the 49ers. Brian Edwards goes in the third round to the newly minted Las Vegas Raiders. I'm definitely not going to mess up and call them the Oakland Raiders like three, four, five, twelve times. DJ Wanham goes in round four to the Minnesota Vikings. And last but not least, TJ Brunson goes in round seven to the Giants. Ben, this is the most picks South Carolina's had under Coach Will Muschamp, the most defensive player selected since 2013. Your overall take on how good of a draft this was for South Carolina? Well, I think anytime you sneak in a first rounder, certainly the best first rounder they've had since Jadamian Clowney, that's pretty important. I actually thought, you know, based on who we're supposed to be, based on the class that was supposed to be seniors last year or, you know, redshirt juniors, I think the numbers, I don't think they're exactly a little low, but it seemed like a lot of the more borderline cases didn't make it, which some years, you know, they just catch a bunch of, you know, guys who you think might be at the end of the draft and make it in there. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought Brunson getting drafted was notable because he was obviously kind of right on that edge. I think the Athletic predicted him as a free agent. And I thought Wanham went reasonably high, all things considered. Maybe could have snuck into the, you know, the end of day two. But I think overall, pretty good kind of turnaround. If you're you know the program itself, you look at being able to sell uh, developing a first-rounder in Kinlaw, developing a two-star into a fourth-rounder in Wanham, and you know getting a playmaker in there as well. Javon Kinlaw going to the 49ers, he joins Debo Samuel there. It seems like they, they like what South Carolina is selling, Will Muschamp, like you said, his, his player development. I think that's a little bit of it, but I think also, you know, they're looking for talent at specific spots. Could have used a receiver last year. Debo was a good option who was available. This year they trade away DeForest Buckner, one of the best tackles in the NFL. And so they were looking for a guy to kind of fill those shoes, replace them. Javon Kinlog, second defensive tackle taken. Certainly a guy who can develop into that and grow into that. And I'll be interested to see kind of what they're able to do with a talent like him because they have a good rep for developing defensive linemen. And even though Kinlaw was really good this season on the college level, I think he's still got, you know, a lot more development to do and a lot more kind of honing and harnessing his skills. Well, that flows nicely into my next question, which is, where do you think is the best fit of these four? Uh, You seem to like where Kinlaw landed in terms of his future growth and development and the impact he'll be able to make maybe even right away. 
Yeah, I think Kinlaw is the answer there, just because they have a spot opening. Obviously, it's an organization that has a well-respected coach, well-respected GM, has seemed to, you know, land some level of stability. Looking at some of the others, um, Edwards comes in with like three, two or three other rookie receivers, so that's going to be kind of interesting. They also didn't have very good receivers outside Hunter Renfro last year, so, you know, DJ goes into a situation where he's going to be able to, I believe, learn from a couple of pretty good kind of undersized defensive ends and a good defensive coach but you know he's also got both those defensive ends ahead of him and Brunson I mean seventh rounders you just never know I mean it, and that isn't just to, to detract from him at all it's merely that you know a not insignificant number of those guys don't even make it on rosters so you don't necessarily count chickens before they hatch especially when it comes to inside linebacker types and you kind of mentioned this before but it kind of seemed like no one was super taken much higher than expected or much lower than expected. Maybe among those, maybe Wanham is the most surprising or out, outside of his pre, pre-draft pre stock. Um, And yeah, I don't even think he even really was. I thought he could have potentially snuck a few, you know, snuck a little higher, maybe slipped a little bit longer into Saturday. But ultimately, I think kind of everyone went about where they should. Except, I mean, Brunson getting drafted was a little notable. And some of the other guys maybe not getting drafted, not getting their names called right at the end, also a little notable. But Ultimately, I don't think that there was uh, overall much surprise, you know, give or take maybe not hearing Rico Dowdle's name. Speaking of Rico Dowdle, of course, immediately as the draft ends, we get the the undrafted free agent signing. Rico Dowdle goes to Dallas, Donnell Stanley goes to Miami, and Tavian Feaster goes to the Jaguars. Of those three, what do you like in terms of fit? Who do you think has a good chance of sticking around? Oh, gosh. Undrafted free agents are kind of a mess, and by the time this goes up, a bunch more are going to probably be signed. I guess if I was to, you know, pick one, I think that Dallas relies on a really shallow group of running backs, and I would be kind of surprised if they, you know, that seems kind of hard to break in. Offensive line, just who knows? I mean, that's a mess. I I guess I'd say Feaster because I think his... His speed offers a little bit of versatility, and you know, I I'm, I'm guessing Jacksonville is a little bit more of a has more questions along their depth chart, but you know, ultimately, it's just kind of a matter of who grinds it out. Hey there, like what you hear? Good news! You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com slash sportspass. You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com slash newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode. And shifting away from the draft for a second, other notable news as of late, Brian McClendon leaving for Oregon and Des Kitchens coming in as South Carolina's new running backs coach. Just your reaction, first of all, to these moves. It's kind of seemed inevitable that McClendon would move on uh, after he was demoted from offensive coordinator, but then he flirted with the Pittsburgh Steelers job, wind up not getting it, and it kind of seemed after that point, well, maybe, maybe he does stick around. Yeah, it was an interesting bit of late movement, uh, especially with Oregon, you know, a place that's pretty far from where he's ever worked, popping open. But, you know, they had late movement losing their wide receivers coach to Kentucky, I think. And, you know, 
it's hard for a coach to stick around when they've been demoted. Now, the downside for him is he gave up a potential. Well, we don't we don't know what his actual salary number is as of yet, but chances are good he gave up a lot of money to take that position. Even if South Carolina waves the buyout, he gave up at least probably five hundred thousand dollars this season and maybe 500,000 or more and probably 500,000 or more next season which is pretty crazy to kind of think about if you're, you know, in that realm. Um I think Hitchings is an interesting name, interesting option. It's going to mean that South Carolina is going to have a third running back coach in 3 seasons and you know, maybe three and a half if you count Bobby Bentley ducking over there for, you know, a third of a spring practice. Uh, he's a good recruiter, and he knows North Carolina, and North Carolina is going to be particularly enormous for South Carolina this year because the in-state crop is not super talented, and they're having uh, they're running into a pretty good Mac Brown-led recruiting machine up there at the moment. So I think Kitchings is an interesting hire. Also thought it was interesting that he only ended up costing them about $300,000 a year and a one-year deal. That financial flexibility matters on two fronts. One, they overall save money, and it doesn't really affect him all that much because based on his buyout from his job at NC State, I think he gets nearly another $200,000 on top of it, and any extra money he makes from USC just uh, saves NC State money. And it's a, the one-year part is notable because South Carolina obviously kind of in a do-or-die situation heading into next season. And, you know, you knock off a full up to a million dollars in obligations that they would owe a staff if there was uh, to be a coaching change. So definitely thought that was interesting. And I think we'll just kind of, I'll be interested to see if he has any different philosophies because obviously uh, Thomas Brown came in, had pretty strong thoughts on how he wanted kind of a, a two-back arrangement, and that sort of defined a lot of how their running game looked this season. It'll be interesting to see if, you know, Kitching says any really strong thoughts or outlook on uh, on how he wants to use his runners. Especially when they're welcoming a star freshman like Marshawn Lloyd. He was recruited by Thomas Brown. He had Bobby Bentley for a little bit of spring practice. Now he's on his, not really his third position coach, but almost before he's even played a game. I think technically it would be his third position coach since Thomas Brown didn't leave until later. Now, obviously, they didn't, you know, work on field together. But certainly, yeah, it's been sort of a whirlwind for him. It'll be interesting to see how that backfield shakes out because you're talking about three fresh faces plus a couple of guys who had really small roles last season. So it's going to be notable how they kind of use them, assuming Lloyd, which I think we can assume at this point, if he's not the starter, he'll be dang close to it. You know, the question is going to be, are there one or two other backs that kind of assert themselves and make themselves kind of those next guys? Because, you know, you never get through a full season with just one runner. Of course, all these discussions we're having are against the backdrop of the coronavirus pandemic and the impact that it's having. Obviously, all over the world is significant. In the context of sports, you know, it started with just the the NCAA tournament, and now it's getting to the point where questions about whether college football will be impacted or even how much it will be impacted, you know, whether we'll play football at all in 2020 are starting to grow. Ben, I don't think anyone could make any firm predictions at this point in time, 
but it does seem like we're trending towards it seems unlikely that this season will be able to go off completely without a hitch as it would any other fall no i definitely think that's the case but i also think that there's a lot of you know there's a lot of i don't knows and that's not a great answer but you know it's kind of the only one we have like we just have no clue what this might look like who can come back when they can come back all that kind of stuff i mean at the moment universities are looking and saying they think they'll be open in the fall in some states so the first thing i'll sort of be looking at is can they can schools get to a point where they're somewhat unified on who's playing football in the fall or who's sorry who has students on campus in the fall and if it can hit sort of a critical mass and most of the power five if not all the power five then you know then you're cooking with gas if you're missing some of those schools then it's going to get weird so you know i think you need at least all of the power five maybe more than that in school in the fall at the very least then the next step there is going to be if everyone's in school in the fall when can kids actually get there when can players get there well Muschamp said a couple times he thinks that teams need about eight weeks to ramp up. Ray Tanner said maybe you could shave a week or two off if you're, you know, if you push it. So then the question is going to be, if kids can come back in the fall, can football players come back a little earlier? And if they can, you can go off without a hitch. If they can't, you can, you know, start pushing the season. And if they don't play, is there spring football? Is there any ability to make that happen? Because you have only so much event staff and... It would be weird if you had a basketball game and a baseball game and a football game all at once. So I think there'll be football in some format, but I think that all of it is built on a great sandcastle of questions and I don't knows. And you were mentioning Des Kitching's contract. It has a lot of financial impact for the university as a whole. Even, you know, you can spin it out as far as Will Muschamp's buyout, all, all these things just a host of unknowns that we won't have any firm answers to anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just wait. It's hurry up and wait. And I think it's kind of funny because since we don't really have anything going, it just allows sort of random speculation and spitballing to kind of fill the vacuum. I mean, I've seen so many stories where people say, oh, we talked to all these coaches and ADs, and they said, what about this or what about that? And it's like, yeah, what what about any of this? We don't know. We don't, we, don't know if, we don't know if these schools are going to actually have students in the fall. Yeah, and we don't want to engage in any of that speculation ourselves, but we will, as time moves forward, keep you up to date on anything we hear in regards to South Carolina and how it's looking for the fall. I mean, so I, I don't mind some speculation, but it's just at a point where it's like all these things could be possible, because, or all these things are equally possible because we just have no idea. In the meantime, all we can do if you want to see college football this fall is stay at home and, and stay safe. In the meantime, we'll have more episodes for you as recruiting or other things heat up. Thanks for listening, and as always, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>